0: Hi everyone and welcome to Hit The Apex, it's the week following the Australian Grand Prix, we've got that to wrap up for you this week and also plenty of other news making the rounds in the world of sport in general. I'm Juad as always joined by Baden and we blinked and another Australian Grand Prix is already gone and so begins F1 2018.
1: Yeah, I think mixed emotions. It was a great weekend whilst it lasted. For all that build-up, once again, you get back to reality and you don't even realise that it occurred in the, the first place
0: yeah, as I said, blink and you'll miss it and it just feels that way heading back into the normal working week this week, but anyway, let's talk about the race and the weekend as a whole great weekend, except for the fact that the rain sort of um, washed things out a bit on Saturday that wasn't very pleasant at all, but uh, as far as the race itself is concerned yeah, Sebastian Vettel making it back-to-back wins here in Australia strategy masterstroke, you could say or he lucked into it, of course opportunistic at the least, opportunity Opportunistic indeed, um, and it was a curse of pole position that struck Lewis Hamilton once again. He claimed his sixth pole position here in Australia, equaling that record that Ayrton Senna set um, back when they had the Grand Prix in Adelaide, but he ended up losing that lead. Uh, under the safety car, which was brought out because of a double retirement, a heartbreaking double retirement by the Haas cars, who were fourth and fifth at the time. Um, It was exactly the same pit stop fumble that destroyed the team's possibility for their best ever result, you know, and um, yeah, you know, that was, as much as that was pretty heartbreaking, it was, the opportunity there for Sebastian Vettel to finally come into the pits on lap 27, make his stop, and uh, because the field was neutralised with the safety car, all the drivers basically had to go around slowly, and as a result, it gave Vettel the time he needed to come back from his pit stop into the lead, and yeah, Hamilton afterwards was uh, spewing, and rightly so.
1: Yeah, we look at it, and early on, Vettel probably didn't have the pace, if anything. Kimi Raikkonen seemed more... Comfortable, he made that uh, half effort into turn three there to go around the the outside of Hamilton, but in the end, probably the the wrong move to make. And uh, about uh, two two and a half seconds behind initially, and it seems as though Vettel purely from. The timing there, he's he's lucked into a victory when really Kimi Räikkönen probably overshadowed and he he had quite a good race overall, it must be said. So both he and Hamilton probably lost out.
0: Yeah, well, Kimi and Lewis, both on the team radio, were not very happy about a lot of things during the race. Kimi saying, you know, don't F me over this again with the strategy. You're telling him now and whatnot. So who knows, we're probably in for the same sort of uh, situation we had last year with the Ferraris, um, and how Sebastian Vettel was their number one guy, uh, but Lewis Hamilton, just all race, or, well, if you want to go for the whole weekend, he was pretty grumpy all weekend from what was being said, and even just looking at him is a general demeanor as well, he just didn't seem, uh, happy about things, who knows, he's the reigning world champion, I thought he would be quite happy with that, but, um, came out in qualifying and pretty much blew the rest of the competition out of the water with a party mode Party mode, indeed yeah which um, you know then in the press conference afterwards there was a joke Seb saying you know you can party today Lewis but uh, you know me and Kimi will be partying tomorrow referring to the race and indeed Lewis was left mincing on his words because uh, Ferrari with Kimi and Seb were indeed partying Sunday night with the win and also third place for Kimi Räikkönen as well who You said, yeah, had a clean race. He was quick in that first part of the race, but then when Vettel took the lead, um, he basically was relegated to having a lonely affair in third. But he had a bit of company with Daniel Ricciardo towards the end of the race. And Ricciardo, I guess, another missed opportunity for him to finish on the podium at home. He started in eighth as a result of a three place grid penalty for driving under the. speed limit or whatever during the red flag in one of the practice sessions earlier on, so that was a bit of a, I guess, a Mickey Mouse penalty, you could say, and starting the race from 8th, he made his way back up to 4th, there was that hope that he would be able to pass Kimi Raikkonen, but, you know, I guess one of the big talking points from this race is the lack of overtaking and the fact that you know, despite the improvements from last year, these cars are still very hard to follow each other, and perhaps it could be circuit-specific, we'll see when we get to Bahrain, but yeah, certainly here in Albert Park, it was very difficult for Ricardo to try and get past Raikkonen.
1: Yeah, again, uh, the knee-jerk reaction after one race, everyone's quick to, to soil Melbourne when the truth couldn't be further away. We've had some great overtaking, really, until Probably the start of the hybrid era was one of the most dramatic on the, the calendar there, and you can see there was talk com- coming into this season of some minor alterations, and perhaps it's something to, to still think on, but I think we again need to see at least the flyaway events where it all settles out before there's any definitive moves made. And as it was, Daniel Ricardo, there, you could argue that the way he did charge through to... Really, only a couple of seconds off P2. He arguably would have been outright second without that penalty. He would have lined up in fifth. So it's really encouraging to see the Red Bulls uh, without getting the the podium finishes we had uh, talked about in the lead up to the race. That they really look like they've, they've got a really competitive car there. And if anything... Uh, with Max Verstappen we'll touch on in a moment there. He really butchered an opportunity himself to, to be on that podium.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, going to Max Verstappen now, of course, he started from fourth but ended up dropping to sixth. He had that little moment at turn one where he spun the car pretty gracefully, of course, but uh, managed to spin the right way around again. But, of course for the rest of the race he well we found out after the race that he was effectively driving a car that was broken so it was a good effort from him to get back to sixth and he was stuck there behind one of the McLarens we'll get to it in a moment but yeah you know missed opportunity for Red Bull there from Verstappen's point of view and I guess Is this this aggressiveness that we've seen from Verstappen all the time? Is he going to mature at some point? I guess first race of the season, don't want to read too much into it, yeah. But what you said about the Red Bulls having good pace at the moment, yeah, we should be seeing him in the mix for podiums. And if they were perhaps in that position that Vettel was um, when he went in for the pit stop, then perhaps we could have had a Red Bull win here um, in Melbourne over the weekend. So encouraging from Red Bull there, they're still, I guess, ahead of the rest of the other competitors um, except for Ferrari Ferrari and Mercedes. Um, We'll go to fifth place here. Uh, It was a Red Bull versus McLaren fight and Fernando Alonso winning that one, I guess. I mean, Verstappen having issues with his car, but still, you know, it was good to see these two guys fighting wheel to wheel because that was what the whole talk was about over the preseason, that with the same engine in the car now, it'll be a test of the chassis. And in this situation, McLaren was able to win in race trim, but in qualifying trim, the Red Bull still much quicker.
1: Yeah, you can see with McLaren, they get a complete weekend together and it's a very handy package there and Alonso always maximising those opportunities. So it's probably not the most 100% realistic uh, outlook of what's to come through the season, but just as far as optimism to see such an iconic name back in the points, it just shows you that when they get uh, their head around, again, the Renault package, at full integration, it's always going to take some time. But if that's... Uh, we're we're top fives it's not podiums and victories that everyone wants to see mclaren at but it's certainly a good starting point and for red bull really who knows like the whole weekend you come away and mercedes is undoubtable that they've still got the car to beat and they had the software bug which we'll probably mention shortly whether that was an excuse or not but uh, i think that Behind Red Bull, behind Ferrari. Then you got Haas there, misfortune, which we mentioned. McLaren gnawing away, and they've come a long way in that off-season.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see when, <clears throat> in the next race, whereabouts Haas actually are, when they actually finish a race. Um, unfortunate again with what happened to them, and Kevin Magnussen running fourth, Roman Grosjean fifth. Um, could they have a, had a podium? I mean, that's just a lot of questions that we shouldn't bother asking now at this stage in hindsight. But going back to McLaren... Double points finish for them, Alonso 5th, Stoffel van van Dorn ninth as well, and giving McLaren their best results um, in Australia since 2014, when they had that double podium finish, and I guess it's a solid way for them to start the season. If this is what we can expect from them every race, then yeah, you know, um, 4th is easily achievable for them in the Constructors' Championship. You'd think that at some stage they'd be able to pick up a, a consolation podium, perhaps, but they've already said coming out in the first race that their target is to reach Red Bull by the end of the season, which you think with a whole season ahead of you, 20 races to go, it is achievable depending on how their development goes and everything. But, you know, they're still under the scrutiny. They're still under the pump um, because they've come out and boldly said that, yeah, you know, without, with the better power unit, we should be able to be back at the front because we've had the best chassis all along um, and they don't want to be left mincing on their words in regards to that. So, But we've also heard too that I guess some of the problems that they had over testing was to do with with the fact that McLaren's packaging is so tight and the Renault power unit is a much larger uh, unit than the Honda was. The Honda was uh, compressed so much to be able to fit into the McLaren and I guess that had caused some of the problems that they had on the reliability front
1: well you think back even to a few years ago with adrian newey's notoriously tight packages and in, in contrast to renault being a bit more cumbersome then you could say that it's a familiar theme that it's probably going to need to be a bit more accommodating if they want to really marry the the chassis to the power units
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's nice to have that tight packaging at the rear, specifically for aerodynamics and all that. So that'll be interesting to see how things pan out. I mean, there was a bit of a worry at the start of the weekend when in the first practice session we hardly saw any of the McLarens out on track. You know, it was a glorious, sunny day. I was sitting there trackside and wanting to see those papaya orange McLarens go past, but we didn't really see them at all. And second practice as well, we saw a little bit of them. But yeah, come third practice, it was... um, you know they were able to get their act together, and yeah, qualifying they just missed out on the top ten shootout, which was, um, you know, fair effort to them. But you know they were beaten by the Haas guys, the Renault guys. So I guess those are the two teams we can expect them to be fighting all season, um, as far as qualifying is concerned. And then in the races, it'll come down to who's who's got the who's got the better, you know sequence on the day, you know, Alonso, we know he can, qualifying's not been a strength of his in the past few years, even in the latter years at Ferrari he was P5 not...
1: 5 was synonymous with
0: everything. Yeah, so he wasn't really qualifying near the front, but would end up Uh, winning races, getting podiums and now you know here qualifying outside the top 10 he was able to race to fifth so you know if this is the kind of results we can get from Alonso and Van Dorn as well solid job from him uh, then yeah it's a good season to look forward to but um, going on there was no big comeback from Valtteri Bottas who uh, we had that crash in qualifying where he um, just went on the curb and uh, got the tank slapper and whatnot and Completely wrecked the car, gearbox penalty overnight, started from P15 and finished in eighth. So, you know, I guess that was probably a little disappointing. But, you know, with a lot of fast cars ahead of him, it would have been more difficult for him to have made further progress.
1: And Lewis Hamilton probably bemoaning that he probably could have used the leverage if Bottas had inserted himself second or even third on the grid, if not ahead of Räikkönen. And from the start of the race, certainly for Vettel, it would have been a handy buffer to have there so that probably did compromise him slightly, not that we can make any excuses for Mercedes inability to convert for a victory
0: Exactly, and I guess this is where some of the pressure will come on to Bottas as well, at the start of the year where it's a big year as far as driver movement will be concerned for, for next year and a lot of talk that uh, Bottas is probably not favourite to retain that seat and that, you know, with other big names on the market, Mercedes might try and uh, target them. So he's got to do a lot to keep his seat In f- as far as in the public's eyes are concerned. But, you know, he had a great year last year, first year with Mercedes. He won three races,
1: of course. Was it three or two? Uh, uh, yeah, three. He won the third at over at Abbey.
0: Yeah, so he had a few victories to his name. He was able to... Um, score pole positions, and he was quick a lot of the time, so yeah, you know, it's going to be an interesting year for Bottas, but yeah, you know, not the best start for him, I guess, I think it was his worst finish here since um he
1: at least since Williams joined up with Mercedes his yeah. first season maybe he was off the pace yeah but certainly but Williams Mercedes onwards he's been always around that top five mark
0: exactly so yeah you know and I guess this was his worst finish since he came to Mercedes as well so um That was very interesting to read. But uh, moving it on, double points finish for Renault as well, who had a bit of a quiet race, you could say. We didn't really hear much uh, from them. Hulkenberg P7, good result for him. And a very ill Carlos Sainz, as we learned, was uh, lucky to hang on to 10th in the end because uh, he had a drinks bottle malfunction.
1: (laughs) Some were saying he was being waterboarded. Yeah, um, essentially just getting saturated in too much fluid, so that was a bit of a, a novelty, but F1 always throws up those really rare situations you wouldn't hear about too frequently. Oh well,
0: yeah, he almost vomited in the car, he said, or in his helmet, something like that, so yeah, 10th for him at least, so good start to the season with them, with points, and I guess this is the first time Um, that Renault, in a while, have scored double points in Australia as well. So, you know, two solid drivers there to look out for all year. And again, you know, it'll depend on their development and to see how far they can go up the table.
1: Yeah, I think really, uh, again, such an outlier at Melbourne in tandem with the talk about overtaking. It's just such an early phase of the championship that we've got to let it all settle down. But the signs are there that, that those, I guess, retirements from Haas, we know that they've got more to give and Mercedes probably the team to beat despite being second, that uh, otherwise there's going to be a few more things, more in the midfield, that have really got to shake themselves out.
0: Yeah, exactly and depending on when upgrades and that come as well, that'll probably
1: uh, sort the field out a lot
0: more, but um, yeah, moving it down now, and we had some unfortunate retirements, quite a few casualties throughout the race, and we already said the Haas cars were out, but uh, yeah sandwich bag, believe it or not, ended Sergei Sorotkin's race debut quite early, Um, it was really early in the race, I think third or fourth Lap that we saw him uh pull over to the side and was out and it was great seeing sorotkin this weekend um you know a lot of criticism around his appointment there at williams but you know there were times where he was a lot quicker than his teammate lance stroll who of course have had who's had a whole season under his belt and in qualifying until the final moment of q1 i thought sorotkin had stroll in the bag but um excuse the bag pun there, um, I thought he had him in the bag, but then yeah, Stroll was able to pull out a lap at the 11th hour to get himself into Q2, that would have been disastrous if both Williams were knocked out in Q1, but I guess it's going to be par for the course this season, we can't really expect them to be where they were a couple of years ago, Q3 guarantee, but yeah, uh, Lance Stroll ended up finishing the race in 14th, um, he was outraced by Another rookie, Charles Leclerc, on debut, had an error-free race in an arguably more uncompetitive car than the Williams, so good result there from uh, the rookie to do that. And a lot of, I guess, attention on Leclerc as well, you know, being the Ferrari junior driver, and he's got to get those results to show that he's going to be a driver for the future for Ferrari.
1: Yeah, I think Williams' result speaks to its decision to take on these two Younger drivers, and they can't be too unrealistic with it, its expectations across the season. Maybe they're going to just be picking up those minor points rather than cracking the top fives that we have been accustomed to. And uh, a lonely race for Lance Stroll ultimately um, making up the numbers. And Charles Leclerc, he did all he could, really. Sauber, they were they were well off the pace really up until race day. And Marcus Ericsson, indeed, his teammate was quite gutted when he retired early. So it's pleasing to see that they still feel that they can do something on a Sunday, even if the outright speed isn't there to to do a lot on in qualifying. But even so, there was some good good pace again from Ericsson during qualifying and Leclerc late in the piece. They managed to show that they can get a good lap together and maybe being opportunistic, we can still expect them to pick up a point here or there.
0: Yeah, you know, you might see at some point in the season one of them get out of Q1, you'd think, in circumstances. Hopefully in the dry they can, you know, just string together that lap to get them out there. Um, Another team that I guess will struggle to see their way out of Q1 um, this season will be Toro Rosso. Same old outcome for Honda now. With Toro Rosso, with that engine failure for Pierre Gasly, and uh, one of our mates was on the ground at Turn 15, saying that yeah, when the Gasly's car went past with the engine blown, it left a very awful uh, odor in the air as well. And I'm like, yep, okay, same old story then this year. And Brendan Hartley finishing a lap down as well, despite having unlapped himself during the safety car, just shows you how far behind they still are in terms of the pace. Disappointing, I guess, with Gasly because they were basically bulletproof and testing as far as reliability was concerned. They didn't show any problems or any failures and now first race um, of a season where we've got three power units that need to last the year and he's already lost an engine there so you know we're going to be seeing grid penalties again and we saw these two in particular Hartley and Gasly at the end of last year when they made their Toro Rosso debuts with the Renault power unit were suffering from grid penalties as well so I guess you know what
1: can we expect from them? Just shows when the Wicks turned up that Honda's still wanting. and uh, Just shakes itself to bits. Could be another season of torment, but thank God for McLaren, they're out, they'll be thinking and I guess they've solved their um, teething issues through the, the testing and they're looking on the improve, so now the ball's probably in Red Bull's court to see what they make of of Honda in the, the next few months, and they've got a decision to make regarding its own future for 2019 on the the power unit front. Well,
0: Helmet Marco didn't he say before the race that uh, before the weekend, in fact, that. You know, he reckons Honda will be on the same level as Renault by the end of the season. So that's a a lot of progress to make still. I I mean, that was considering what they had done in testing. It's like, okay, they've got a reliable engine now. Let's just try and make it quicker. But the fact is that they've just gone and blown the engine in the first race means that there's still reliability issues to be worked on. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, moving it back up, sorry, for India finishing outside of the points, um, with Perez ahead of Ocon, um, I guess, what do we expect from them for the rest of the season until they get their upgrades we know that they're in a bit of a financial situation again
1: they can get the upgrades if the funds come they basically
0: yes basically dependent on the money now whether they can get enough funding to get those upgrades on the car but um you know they're behind the eight ball which is not good to see but I knew or we knew that coming into this season with the likes of McLaren and Renault and Haas making improvements that it would be difficult for Force India on the shoestring budget that they have to maintain that fourth position that they've um, deservedly achieved over the last few years so I reckon perhaps you know if they can get those upgrades on the car they could perhaps mix it again in the points but you know beating Renault McLaren it's going to be a bit difficult this year and I guess we're just going to have to see um, how the individuals fare Ocon's going to be battling again with Perez Um, we saw how heated things got last year between the two and for minor points placings I mean are these guys going to do the same thing it's going to be interesting to see
1: yeah maybe this year's going to be a bit of a write-off till the future is resolved all that talk of a name change and new uh, majority investors there so that's been put on the back burner for now so if they can at least get through this season just picking up some points in the handy haul towards its uh, its allowance income from the constructors that can go towards 2019 just having a future where they, they know exactly which direction they're headed in
0: yeah exactly so it just as you said doesn't seem like that we're going to have any news on the name change this year now so perhaps next year we'll wait and see um still a lot of water to go under the bridge but you know it's a team that have long struggled, they made the most of it over the last couple of seasons, um, and went above and beyond, but, yeah, you know, to see them fall back again, it's kind of like that Williams thing where, you know, they've, when they taste success, they've done so well, you don't want them to see, you don't want to see them go backwards, and I guess they've just got to work towards, um, re, this rebrand or whatever, and getting a bit of money back into the team, and yeah, they've, it's not about, you know, that they're doing anything wrong, they've got the right people there, um, on the technical department. They've got the right leaders, Bob Fernley and Otmar Zafnauer as well. So it just comes down to having those resources on hand to be able to execute what they want.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's always precarious. f one week to week and then situations change and suddenly the outlook can be a whole lot brighter. But we hope for them, we want as many cars on the grid as we can and we want them being competitive.
0: Exactly, like Haas So just rounding it out, I guess, um going back to what we said earlier about the lacking, the lack of overtaking being lamented by many over the weekend, and of course, a lot of people have just come out of the gates and started criticizing the race itself, saying that, you know, is Albert Park outdated now, and stuff like that, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's not a very easy thing to digest, of course, it's not anything to do with the circuit itself at some circuits you're going to be able to pass others you're not going to and I guess you could compare it to Monaco perhaps Monaco's been around for a long time we're not going to see much overtaking there but what we've got to work towards is getting cars that will allow overtaking I guess we knew coming into this um new era of aerodynamics last year that overtaking would be a lot more difficult um but we still saw overtaking last year at certain circuits and then certain circuits you're not going to see as much overtaking. So as you say, yeah, just people getting a bit too carried away quite easily.
1: Yeah, hard to put the onus on the circuits when they're the the constant and the uh, the aerodynamics always varying. So I'd say that uh, you're going to have to get used to it for the next three seasons at least until the 2021 regulations do come online and there's a a real effort made to make these cars in in a way i guess with talk of the budget cap that still makes them friendly for um good passing uh then it's just playing the long game and melbourne really for the, the entire show again put on put on a great week and it's just a shame that that more can't be done on track but it shouldn't take away from what the the circuit provides that carnival atmosphere and we'll again wait and see the next couple of races if the the feedback is the same.
0: Yeah so great job again from the organisers for putting on such a great event Um, they probably didn't draw in the numbers that they had hoped for initially I think 295,000 people for the whole weekend so it was actually down on last year's number, but, you know, Saturday I guess... they wiped out about 90,000. Yeah, you could say so. So, um, if we didn't have the rain on Saturday, I'm sure that we would have broken a new record this year. But, uh, anyway, um, that's another race uh, Australian Grand Prix over. We look forward to Bahrain then next week. But, anyway, before we round that out, um, Drivers of the Day, as always, um, hard to go past Fernando Alonso for me. I can see him picking up this a uh, little award every on more sorry i can see him picking up this award on many occasions this year um as we said before the car might not be top 3 worthy but he with his superhuman ability or whatever might be able to snag a top three out of the car and to finish fifth ahead of a Red Bull as well with Max Verstappen behind the wheel I'm sure he'll be happy to be in that position again where he gets to fight with the top guys on the grid.
1: Yeah I'd be close to nominating the Spaniard but it's hard to go past uh, Daniel Ricciardo there just from the setback he had, he was seething after that penalty and he made the most of it. He didn't feel the pressure like Max Verstappen did and that, that fastest lap he set in the the dying stages there, he was really hungry and uh, had things work out a little bit better. Probably was staring at a, a P2 and I think that it's a make-or-break season for him so he's got a lot uh, there to prove and I think that... Um, he just shows you that he's pretty relentless when he wants something, he won't hold back at all.
0: Exactly, so yeah, that rounds out our little review of the Australian Grand Prix, let's get into our digest then for the week, and um, a lot of news coming out obviously after the Grand Prix and during the weekend, and um, in regards to Haas actually, so even though they weren't able to convert and get the points that they needed at the end of the weekend with the twin retirement there's still a lot of concern being raised about how similar the car is this year to ferrari and in particular last year's ferrari car people have come out and said that it might be an exact replica of what ferrari raced last year um Guys like Zach Brown and the team at Force India are not happy, saying that, you know, in the regulations that's not allowed, they're not supposed to be sharing that sort of information between teams. I mean, we know how close that Ferrari are with Haas as far as a technical partnership is concerned with the power
1: unit and other components such
0: as suspension and brakes and all that, but yeah, you know, how close is too close (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's probably a good thing, again, for them to resolve ahead of the the next agreement 2020, whether it's something to be embraced as far as cost-cutting measures or it needs to be uh, just completely clarified and everyone has to have their independent autonomy there. But HUS, for, for what it is worth, they've, they've shown that within the parameters there of um, the regulations that they've... Maximized it, and they've been very inconsistent, at least in 2017. So if they have the kind of pace that they displayed on Sunday, then they're really going to be up there, and perhaps they'll be the ones contending for podiums. So you've got to hand it to them. They've probably um, unearthed what they can and worked their way around loopholes. And other teams, again, the knee-jerk reaction when they see that someone does something well, the first act is to go and protest rather than make their own effort to... um, to make those um inroads
0: well you could say that again and we heard that over um saturday night after qualifying where kevin Magnussen basically told fernando alonso to stop complaining (laughs) just because we're faster than you so um yeah it's as you say knee-jerk reaction and we just got to wait and see how things pan out i guess um with the outcome that they had in the race it sort of was uh put down by that but you know come the next race Bahrain they did really well at over the last couple of years that's where I think their best result actually came in 2016 with uh, Grosjean finishing in fifth so you know if they were in that same position again fourth and fifth then who knows what we could actually have a protest on our hands between the guys
1: Yeah, it's just good to see. Again, a bit of variety there. Renault, a bit more consistency. McLaren, when it's uh, got everything sorted. So any given weekend, we could have somebody different chipping away at those front runners. And when one or two of them have issues like we saw with Bottas and then Verstappen really not maximizing it, then uh, it's just great to see a different a different team in the mix yeah
0: and um going back to what you said then and moving on to the next point about you know looking ahead to the future so liberty media are gonna sit down with the teams in bahrain to present a blueprint of the future so the regulations beyond 2021 um, not just the regulations but just their their general vision of how they want to see the sport um you know i guess a decision's got to be made or you know they've got to finalize things in the next few months so that preparation can begin of course and remember with the 2014 engine regulations they were talking about him as early as 2011 or
1: 12 i think so would have been even earlier than that probably would have been like 2010 when yeah they really started discussing the hybrid concept
0: yeah so, so they're gonna to have to get onto that early they've got to nail down what they want from a an engine perspective power unit you know we believe that Hybrid is still the way to go for the future. But as far as their aerodynamics are concerned and whatnot as well, um, there's going to be a lot of power play, I guess. But, you know, this is where Liberty's got to put their foot um, on the ground, stamp their authority and say, if you want to play ball, that's good. If you don't, well, then there's the door. You can leave, so...
1: I think Liberty, they've come in for some flack after that honeymoon period concluded uh, probably uh, mid-season... 2017 people started to turn on them and we've seen the introduction of the the new graphics set and the streaming service which is uh taking its time but they're wanting to do it right and liberty just has to go and show that they're certain of what what it wants as its own future and and own the decision so people aren't sitting there thinking these guys don't have a clue what they're doing
0: yeah i guess that criticism is going to be natural of course with anything and you know formula one's at that point where you know evolution is good you know we've had this we've had the same thing for so many years now and just giving it that fresh new look and um now I guess they've done that on the the aesthetic side of things they've just got to make the racing product itself um quality standard I guess and that's what 2021 will be and whether the teams are going to agree with them or not you know who cares to be honest because there'll always be someone who's willing to to compete in the sport if ferrari want to go they can go not that they will anyway for those who think that they their threats are genuine um there's too much money in it for them it's their form of advertising they need formula one but formula one doesn't really need ferrari so read into that what you will
1: it's the perennial (coughs) debate with ferrari and the idea that it sells itself through its own presence in the sport whereas everyone else has to do it for pure survival reasons but uh, if f1 really in liberty wants to show who really is in charge then they won't have any uh, time for ferrari to call the shots
0: exactly so moving it on anyway and liberty media and f1 announced last week as well that uh, the sport's going to be getting the Netflix treatment so there's going to be a series coming in 2019 early 2019 which will be documenting this season um, giving great insight into the teams and the drivers and weaving a narrative around the season, which will be 2018, it's, it's only just started, so we don't know what to expect. So that's really great. And, you know, uh, we saw Grand Prix Driver, the series that McLaren made for Amazon over the off-season, uh, about their, off se- or their pre-season from last year. It was a four-part series, but really insightful as to what went on in what was, I guess, that tumultuous, uh, what was to be that tumultuous season, the final season with Honda. So, you know... I guess yeah, just opening that up to audiences. I mean Netflix is such a universal platform now. Opening it up to audiences to see what really goes on inside the world of Formula One and, you know, the tension, the pressure, the drama and all that sort of thing, it's it's hard not to be excited about it and I wish we already had something to sample.
1: Yeah, we just gotta be patient. Good things come to those who wait and Liberty will make sure it gets it right when it does have its release and it's probably a sign that a lot more teams and, and motorsport as a whole will get around it and have its own content out there that really is tailored towards its fans for the increased exposure.
0: Well, we did make the comparison that they have here in Australia on Fox Sports or whatever, Supercar's Life, which is a behind the scenes uh program that goes into the lives of the drivers and their families and all that sort of thing and shows what it is what Every, all the preparation that goes into what they do off track as well, so that's excellent inside, and it's uh just opens their world up a lot. You know, Formula One drivers for a long time now have been, or the world of Formula One in general has been really exclusive, and you can't Very really chiller. you can't even you can't see on the inside. But now with Liberty Media, you know, we're starting to get that door open, and you can see what goes on inside and everything. And a Netflix series as you know some might call it silly or whatever it's an amazing idea to be able to see what goes on inside and who knows like there could be more with all the connections that liberty have as far as distribution and whatnot and partnerships are concerned you know give us some more f1 movies perhaps you know that'll be great to see yeah they're just getting started um moving it on zach brown uh, was on hand of course with mclaren this weekend it was his first time Uh, linking up with Walkinshaw and Ready United in the supercars category and I guess he had a bit to say too about the future of that sport too, saying that, you know, why don't we invest in hybrids rather than switching to V6 turbocharged engines, which um, Holden will be introducing for next season, um, saying that it's a bit of a waste of money and he's got to find a way of being relevant to road cars, which hybrid engines are, and of course, uh what was the other point oh yeah that's right um making it so that it's still training up young engineers and developing innovation and all that so what do we think hybrids in v8 supercars
1: yeah certainly i guess coming from the f1 background he has that that knowledge it's ruffled a few feathers with roland dane with triple eight now the factory holden team homologating the The uh, recent chassis, which we've seen next season, the V6 will come online. We might see some wildcard entries in the the back half of this season. So he's probably not most pleased with this idea of maybe a split in categories, multiple tiers. If we did have some cars retaining what has been the status quo for the past couple of decades or so. And uh, the V6 is being seen as a future, which probably doesn't have any real relevance to the Australian market. But uh, I think Zach Brown's got a point as long as it's done in a a way that's not going to blow the the budget out of the water
0: exactly so it's good to hear zach talking about supercars of course now involved with that war team through his United Autosports outfit and I guess the next piece of news as well uh, linked to United Autosports is one Pablo Montoya going to be contesting the 24-hour Le Mans this year his quest for the Triple Crown of course he's won the Monaco Grand Prix he's won the Indy 500 several times so now it's Le Mans that he's got to tick off and win that one so he can be the second man behind Graham Hill to have
1: completed the Triple Crown. Yeah, I guess he's uh, eyeing that off uh, with Fernando Alonso. It's in the not-too-distant future. He's got his own designs and a lot of... Not just Montoya for the triple crown, but a lot of drivers showing some receptiveness to even the supercars, especially with this collaboration, Zach Brown, a bit of a conduit there. He's many... Strings he can pull can put people in places, and we might be seeing these international stars on a supercars grid at Bathurst and the like in the foreseeable future. Well, you
0: were saying earlier that Stoffel Van um, expressed his interest to race at Bathurst one day, so perhaps Zach could put him in touch with the Walkinshaw guys to make that happen. Fernando Alonso, of course, and of course, the Penske link that oh Alex is Rossi there with Inco, a, Michael yeah, Andretti's son yeah Marcus, so pretty so. much you know that's I guess where the benefit is of having these partnerships between um outfits and we heard Erebus Motorsport too in the lead up to the new season say that they're investigating a potential partnership with someone stateside as well so you know I guess it's it's viable it helps um them economically and on a business perspective as well I mean Penske in particular they've got you know they're Penske Empire, the trucking business and everything, which is present here in Australia too. So it is of benefit two ways, I guess. It
1: works both ways for them. Yeah, you can just see that globalisation. As long as it's uh, not saturating the market, we've always got to have the priority given to the local stars who have cut their teeth for so long but any time that you can expand it to a new market you've got to pursue it
0: exactly so i guess that wraps up our motorsport content for now we'll talk a little bit later as well when we do our uh new thing sport uh, a sporting moment of the week so that's basically where we just talk about anything that's our highlight of the week, whether it's in uh, motorsport, footy, cricket, whatever, but um, before we get into that, um, I guess the whole world of sport this week was uh, rocked by what happened in South Africa with the Australian cricket team, Um, we don't really talk a lot of cricket apart from when it's the ashes, but, you know, I guess this was significant enough for us to sort of weigh in on it and share our thoughts because it has been following us for the entire week, basically. Well, basically, cast a shadow over
1: from uh, when it occurred early hours Sunday morning, it put the uh, Grand Prix on the back burner. Even everyone in the paddock, all they could talk about was what happened over in South Africa. With the cricket, yeah.
0: So the fact that, you know, Monday morning, the Australian Grand Prix was relegated to the back pages where, you know this cricket scandal was the main thing and I guess for those I'm sure you all are aware of what happened there you know the Australian team involved in a ball tampering um situation three players have been banned the coaches resigned uh, th- amongst the three players the captain himself Steve Smith a massive fall from grace for him Cameron Bancroft the youngster who's only had a handful of tests in his uh, pocket and of course the vice captain David Warner who many believe to be the architect of this but um, I guess just sharing a few thoughts um, it's there's no better word to put it as disappointing and perhaps it's an understatement as well it's it's almost heartbreaking to think that yeah you know for a country that's so proud of its sporting heritage and in particular cricket where you know being captain of the test team is second to the job of the prime minister in Australia it is a big letdown isn't it
1: I'd say if anything it was uh, shocking but not surprising considering that Culture that's been festering away for decades really you go back to leadership's Clark Ponting war they all had lines some of them would really uh, push it other ones would step over from Time to time and on this occasion with the certain individuals involved. It doesn't take much you get that Inertia and things start happening people start um, taking more control and in this case uh, really uh, there's been a real breakdown certainly between uh, those involved and higher. And with Darren Lehman in this case, whether he did have any prior knowledge or not, he's now also fallen on his sword. And it just shows you that until Australia can now move forward, that it's probably been a long time coming. And just do- doesn't take away ultimately, though, from the shame that we feel collectively.
0: Yeah, f- exactly. But um, going back to what you're saying about the culture which has sort of been festering away over the last few years or whatever. Um, How did it get to a stage where it was like that? You know, cricket's one of those sports, I guess, if if you're cynical like me, you've really doubted cricket for the last decade or whatever ever since IPL came on board and we see various spot fixing well, and ball tampering scandals all over the world
1: particularly your own interest I guess on the the Pakistan scene it's a lot more afflicted by these scandals in the past yeah and so jaded by the whole process eventually. so a
0: country like uh, a team like Australia that have always represented the highest of sporting integrity and um playing you know having a fair go and playing um fairly or whatever even though their behavior might not be that reflecting that but they always played with the highest level of um honor and prestige or whatever to not have that anymore as well it's just like well what's the point then you know you've you've not had the behavior over the last few years as some have described it's been quite boorish and of course a lot of those those tensions in the um test series with South Africa at the moment was um, built up because of uh, certain players behaviours and whatnot on field and off field Um, it's kind of not surprising as you say that it's reached this um, situation and of course really disappointing for a young player to get involved in that where you know he's sort of peer pressured into doing it to keep his spot in the side so you know where do they go from here it's um, pretty clear I guess just trying to change that culture uh, new leaders will come in they've got I guess the standing captain at the moment Tim Payne after this series is done there'll be a new coach as well who I'm sure they'll announce in due course or whatever plenty of candidates out there um, but yeah Steve Smith it's just you know someone that a lot of people look up to, well, kids look up to because he's the test captain and someone who's been a role model. He's always had that reputation of being a clean skin and being, you know, almost childlike in the way there's an innocence. Like a little puppy just There was a, there was a weird innocence about him, which, you know, I guess, and it sort of was on display yesterday when we saw that press conference where he pretty much broke down and, uh, was full on apologetic about what had transpired and he took full full responsibility for it and in a way like it was hard not to be disappointed and angry with him initially but then seeing those emotions come out and seeing him essentially take, and, it, and Cameron Bancroft to an extent, taking the the bullets in this situation, um, taking the flack, uh just goes to show you the leadership qualities, and of course, uh, Smith's leadership has been questioned a lot over the last few years, and I guess that was the biggest, um, I guess that was the biggest act of leadership that he's um, had to go through, and stand up for his team, take the full responsibility, even though, many have suggested it wasn't exactly his, he was the one who instigated it, but um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's weird times, you know, the fact that the Australian cricket team would get involved in something like this, uh, you know, this sort of stuff can happen anywhere, basically.
1: Oh, there was one question, Mark, about Smith's leadership over his tenure, it's probably that malleability to, maybe not more senior, but uh, those with more authority in the sense that they get what they want and clearly on this occasion he's been a bit naive and you should have known that this was something which just should never have proceeded so um, it's caught him short and you can only hope that in the long run that he's got that 12 months as it is now of introspection and he comes back as an even better not just a cricketer but as an individual and I'm sure that all of the people involved um, did plenty of time to lick their wounds and whoever chooses to make their own beliefs, whoever wants to come out and take ownership, Steve Smith on this occasion, he can't be faulted for saying that the the buck has stopped with him in this instance.
0: Yeah. So I guess taking that onus upon himself to, to take the hit for the team and um, they're only going to, it's only going to make him a stronger person anyway, but you know, he's still young. I'm sure 12 months later, he will come back, if he's still got the form behind him, um, whether he'll be captain again is another story, you know, I reckon perhaps if Australia don't find a better leader, that, you know, the opportunity is there for him, David Warner, I couldn't really care less about, to be honest, because um, he's the one who's sort of brought this toxic culture about, you know, we all had to feel sorry for him, whatever, with what happened with Quinton de Kock, because he started talking about his wife or whatever, but, the fact that that was brought around was the fact that Warner was constantly mouthing off in the field to him during play. And there's a line that you can cross when it comes to sledging and whatnot and bit of banter. And it seems, as we've said before, that the Australians for the last few years have just been the chiefs in crossing that line every time. And yeah, it just makes it an uncomfortable um, uncomfortable thing to view and to, to consider that sport is absolutely preposterous
1: at the same time we can't lose sight of the fact that warner's been a, a great cricketer unfortunately uh he probably had a couple of years of real stability there and it seemed as though that family side really had made him a more balanced individual but uh, he's probably slipped back into those old habits uh, certainly through the ashes campaign and uh, what the greater shame is though he seemed to really thrive in the, the leadership uh, spotlight when he took on the uh the limited overs and T20 captaincy there on that tour of New Zealand it seemed as though he was really coming into his own so to have regressed to here it just uh, makes the downfall even more disappointing but the fact is that, that he's the instigator of it all so he's going to be the one as much as Smith was the leader people will associate this and he'll have forever black dot tarnished against his yeah, name. Yeah, well, I
0: wouldn't have him as captain, uh, like, before I didn't really want him as captain. Now, definitely, well, I wouldn't want to see him as captain. He yeah. really
1: said that he's um, ineligible to ever captain a, an Australian international team upon his... Uh return if it does come to pass.
0: Yeah, you know, got no humility or humbleness about him whatsoever, which is a traits of a captain that you need and just while we're still on the sub, uh while we're on the subject, you know, a few years ago we heard um Brendan McCullum who was the former captain of New Zealand come out and say that, you know, it should be played with humility and respect and all that and um the sledging and whatnot is unnecessary at times and the Australian public basically shamed him and just called him basically a pussy for for making those sort of comments. And when you look at it in I mean at the time and now looking at it in hindsight, it's like maybe he has a point, you know, there is a line that, you know, when it comes to sport, yeah a bit of banter is good and we like to rub the salt in the wound a little bit, but don't get too carried away, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a game, we're playing, you know, we're playing it for fun, that's what we're taught when we're growing up, that we're playing, we play sport for fun, to have fun um, and learn things, you know, learn experiences about life, not take it to the point where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, your wife is this and this or you're this and this or whatever, you
1: know, they will end up ultimately living on this pedestal where everything that goes on in their public and personal lives is in the public spectrum, essentially, and it's always monitored closely, and eventually the the pressures can come one way or another, and in this instance, it's it's led to these events, and uh, it's a culmination, really. It's, it's over many months and years again, and on this occasion, it's... Um, who knows, talking about other teams, whether they've done the exact same thing in the past, Australia, as far as its reputation in the past, uh, whether it, it holds itself to a higher level of, of courtesy than the rest, this is the moment where they draw the line in the sand and... I guess, reinvent itself moving forward.
0: Yeah, they've got to. There's no doubt about that. So good luck, I guess, to the team with the final test in South Africa, which gets underway later today, I'm pretty sure. So um, we'll be watching that indeed. But yeah, I guess the enthusiasm does get a little curbed with with what's happened and everything. But anyway, let's wrap up the podcast on a positive note. Um sporting moment of the week. So every week we're gonna pick out our favourite moment, whether it's in motorsport or in any other sport. And I guess it's hard to pick out anything in cricket this week, to be honest. But um yeah, you know, what did you what stood out for you over the last week in the world of sport? You know, we had footy come back um, around one. I'm not gonna say that Collingwood um was your favourite
1: moment, Oof. but <laughs> No, certainly nothing to do with football. I'd honestly say sticking on the cricket theme just seeing Steve Smith there at the press conference last night showing that he's just a human like everybody and there was nothing scripted about his performance there no stage management and also to a lesser extent uh, Darren Lehman the effect he felt seeing Smith and Cameron Bancroft uh, with With their conferences, it moved him to, uh, after 24 hours, where he said he'd be continuing to also um, announce his resignation, that these guys, uh, they're affected like everybody, and they can see in their own degrees of um, complicitness that... um, it's time to to move on and just reflect on what happened but we need to to give them all a break eventually but it's just good to see that it wasn't some sort of robotic response of just saying oh sorry it won't happen again they they genuinely owned uh, their sentiments yeah
0: so i guess yeah what you said about darren lehman just feeling it that it was time to move on amongst all that and yeah Steve Smith, nothing scripted about that at all, but um, for me, I guess, yeah, not going off cricket and back to motorsport, actually, we didn't talk really about supercars over the weekend with the championship round, of course, but for me, my favourite moment of the week was um, Scott Pye breaking through for his first win um, in supercars, he's had 165 races and... finally, you know, to be able to do it, it was a tough race, it was changeable conditions, it was getting dark there at Albert Park, um, Saturday night, he had Jamie Wincup, the uh, seven-time champion behind him, and just the composure to hold himself in the lead, and to be able to do it, and this is a guy who's faced so much adversity, adversity throughout his career, he's been dumped from so many teams, not particularly of his own fault, but He's just been unlucky. He's been in a lot of accidents. But finally, you know, we're seeing that mature Scott Pye come out, the talented Scott Pye that we've all been hoping to see succeed. And now, you know, with the new Walkinshaw Andretti United team, for him to break through for the first win of that alliance only into the second round of the championship is quite warming to see and yeah you know there's if they keep the faith in him then we could yet have a champion in scott pie
1: well finally he's got that stability instead of being bandied about and being that second option when someone else decides that it's too hard to to get their head around something. He's now got a place where he feels like he belongs and he's got the backing there. People want to invest into him. And as far as being the future there, he's certainly got it all ahead.
0: Yeah, so, you know, we'll talk more about supercars next time. But, yeah, great weekend anyway for the category there, racing for championship points. Um, Shane Van Gersbergen retains the lead despite having a bit of an off weekend. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a close one. We've had, we had four different winners across the weekend, and five winners across the first six races, which is good to see, with David Reynolds also winning the last race, Derek albert Park, Scott McLaughlin winning one, and Jamie Wincup getting on the board too, so another interesting year lies ahead for supercars as well, but um, as far as, yeah, this week's podcast is concerned, thank you very much for tuning in, Um, a bit somber, of course, with the cricket news and whatnot, but hopefully normal service will resume next week, where we can talk wall-to-wall motorsport and maybe a bit of footy depending on how things go uh for your team this round my team has already lost uh, in the north queensland cowboys so i'm definitely not going to be talking about them unless you want me to break down like steve smith did but anyway uh let's wrap things up enjoy your weekend and we will see you guys next week pleasure as always until then